any kind of food that is being lucky to be picked by the Chinese consumers as something that they like to have is going to be extinct in a very short period of time. What if we get it right? Sorry, I paused there. I hesitated. Yes. <laughs> I have hesitated. We are getting it right. Are we getting it right? Welcome to episode 15 of What If We Get It Right? I'm Tessa Wernink, a social entrepreneur, and I've teamed up with Impossible, home of planet-centric design. Together, we bring you stories about how to build businesses that can move the world in a new direction. Today, I speak to Carrie Chan, co-founder and CEO of Avant Meats. Carrie is a Hong Kong-based entrepreneur who inhabits an unconventional space in sustainable business. She is looking pragmatically at a way to reduce harm to animals while still feeding the global population. Her answer is cultivated fish grown in a lab. In the words of her company, to gratify without sacrifice. Avon Meat's mission is to offer an alternative to everyone, including consumers and company, uh, an alternative way to produce animal proteins. And in this case, it is talking about fish, uh, that we do not need to uh, raise or catch and slaughter fish in a way that we can achieve sustainability, having the ocean to replenish, uh, more um, faster production of the food that can distribute and can um, cater for demand in more more efficient manner. And so this is what we do. We are a biotech company and um, this is what we are we are building at the moment as a technology platform for this uh, cultivated meat technology. My curiosity overcame my initial dismay of the idea of eating lab-grown food. And I decided I wanted to understand more about this approach and whether it can be a game-changer. So before asking Carrie more about her future vision and purpose, I took the first part of the interview to better understand her business. Carrie has reeled in millions in seed funding, but hasn't yet brought a product to market. Her business idea is at the forefront of the food industry. Even lawmakers haven't caught up or decided whether or not to allow it. So, let's hear more first about how Carrie sees the problem and the context in which she has devised a possible answer to a global problem. Hello, Carrie. It's so nice to speak to you all the way in Hong Kong. Uh, I have a thing with Hong Kong, which uh, I talked to you about. I was born there. Um, and today we'll be talking about uh, you and also your, your uh, enterprise, Avant Meats. Um, can you start by telling our listeners, what is Avant Meats? What do you do? So Avant Meats, we started in uh, late 2018. We are the very first cultivated meat technology company of China. We're actually the, the first one who work on also producing fish uh, using this method. So that means that we what we do is actually um, produce fish meat and fish protein, but without going back to uh, catching or raising and slaughtering fish. And so using the cell technology, tissue engineering technology, bioprocesses, Basically, with this, we can actually produce the same fish we want uh, without needing to catch more fish or raising more fish. So in order to achieve um, a, a, a more sustainable options for, for, for consumers. And yeah, this is what we do. We have been uh, making several uh, product prototypes, including fish fillet. Uh, we also complete a fish maw uh, for the audience. That means the swim bladder of fish, and it is actually a delicacy or a very exotic ingredient in this part of the world. Just to give some context to the listeners, uh, we're talking fish, 
uh, we're saying China. I read somewhere that uh, on average Chinese people or like the total population of China, it's double the average on in fish. Can you tell me a little bit about like what fish means in China where you work? So, yeah, so in, in China, we eat um, like 35% global produce of fish and seafood. That means that it is uh, having more of the equal share. So the population is around 28-ish percent uh, of the population in China versus the population globally. But now the fish consumption is 35%. That means that we're actually eating more of our shares. And we eat a lot of different kind of, in particular, uh, southern part of China, we basically have a few provinces where the, the staple is actually fish, uh, especially the cities around the, the coastal area. Uh, it is basically in our in our diet um, traditionally, um, day in and day out. So that's, that's the reason why um, it is actually one of the very uh, highly consumed animal protein as well um, in this part of the world. Yeah. And why would you go for cell-based fish? What's the problem with normal fish or sustainably farmed fish? Uh, well, I would say that we would like to offer an alternative. Um, at the moment, maybe we, uh, some of our audience knows that all of our fish, uh, not all of them are actually farmed. So uh, among the more commonly eaten animal proteins, fish is still uh, the, the type of animal, the species, that we rely half of them are um, catch, caught from the ocean. Although half of them are farmed, the reason being a lot of species cannot be domesticated. So either they uh, do not grow well in captivity or they just do not breed and like populate. So um, in particular, several species where which is really sought after, it has led to the overfishing and actually several fish species already in danger. Um, for example, the, the first product we have developed a prototype, fish more. Traditionally, it is uh, obtained from Bahaba. If people look up Bahaba online, the first thing that will actually come as a result uh, in, the, in the internet search is that these um, species are already in danger and we cannot find them anymore because of a certain pattern of what we eat has overfished uh, drastically. That's not, um, they're not, they cannot be naturally replenished anymore, so they're protected. Um, so uh, so that, is, that is a reason why we think that this technology can also achieve several, um, uh, solve several problems. Uh, overfishing, marine conservation, and of course, using this technology, we also compare the economic benefit of using this new method to produce animal protein. In the case of fish, uh, depending on the species, the time we need to grow from a fry um, to a to a fillet or the fish size that we can actually go to the market is roughly between about a um, like nine months to about a year to two two year. And um, using this method, we can actually produce uh, the same amount of fish in in about two months' time. So it will drastically uh, accelerate the protein production for, for, for the world. As we know that um, the world population is exploding and um, people have been finding many different ways to accelerate the production of the uh, food product, in this case, fish protein. So I think that will definitely help with that as well. Um, and as well as using less natural resources, decentralization of the supply chain. A lot of fish in particular, people need to be close to the water in order to enjoy the seafood and some countries where they have the means and the financial resource, they will just fly around different fish and that, that create a lot of carbon footprint um, impact on the environment as well. So in the future, we can actually produce feeds 
in the in the region or in the market where they need it. So we decentralize the whole supply chain can also achieve a cut down on the carbon footprint uh, in that regard. There's a uh, there's a finite number of fish, let's say, or it replenishes itself. But there's a, there's just a problem with um, the fish stock in the world. And one of the ways in which people have started to approach it is is by doing sustainable farming. And actually, a step further is what you're saying is through cell based technology. So growing fish in a lab. And what I understand is that at the moment your business is in the process of like prototyping. Can you tell me what is the process of growing fish in a lab? So um, it is very similar to, uh, let's say, hydroponic. Um, so uh, in that case, we pick a part of the plant that can grow in an environment where it is a bit more controlled. That means that we do not grow the plant in the in the outdoor, in the in, with the soil and everything. We just basically supply with the plant with the natural nutrients, the right temperature, the right you know light level intensity, etc. And then in a time in the in that sense that we do not need to use pesticide, we can also um, manage the harvest in a more stable supply. So very similar concept is that we pluck, uh, 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 we call the biopsy, a very small part of the fish or the animal in this case. Um, uh, it could be chicken, it could be beef, ex- uh, uh, cow, etc. And then we get that biopsy and actually uh, turn it into a, um, we'll call the cell line, which is a healthy generation, a healthy population of the um, cell re- regenerating kind of cells. And then um, that becomes the seed. And then when we need to produce more meat, we just always go back to the seed and then put them into a, a very warm, like a, a control like equipment. We call that bioreactor or fermenter is actually no different from similar mechanism as a um, incubator where we make the uh, the fermenter that we make the yogurt or a, a where we make beer. So uh, just basically keep the temperature right, keep the pH level right, and feed the feed the cell with the nutrient it wants. And then um, after about two months time, we will yield the, the cells that is uh, the same cell as we find on the piece of fish. So that will basically the same the muscle cell as we eat um, on fish, and then that will form the, the basic uh, of the of the product that we make, then it can be turned into like a fillet or fish cake or other different forms as we wish. That means that when you take a biopsy, the, the animal doesn't die, but it also means that the product you make is not vegan. Um, correct. So by the very strict definition, it does contain the animal parts. So for people who would like to skip animal parts altogether, uh, they would not be vegetarian vegetarian. But I, I, I understand that vegetarianism and veganism to a certain extent do not want to exploit animal for food and entertainment, clothing, etc. So it might fit into the, 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 the rules and the standard of some people. In fact, in this field, um, there are quite a lot of supporters uh, uh, supporting this method is because that it basically take away the animal killings, um, sustainability and everything. Like I myself, um, I, I adopt a vegan diet, but um, I would I would happily like I happily consume the product that we make. I actually tasted it when we make the prototype uh, because I know that it is sustainable as well as that in the process I understand what goes into that that I feel safe that I can eat it. Yeah, and you know if that's the case uh, in terms of this being such a great new technology. Um, you're still waiting for regulatory approval, I think, and also raising awareness around consumers. Can you tell me what people are afraid of? 
Yeah, so I think a, a lot of the uh, misinformation or lack of information always lead to uh, question marks as well as uncertainty and, and then lead to fear. Uh, we have come across a couple of occasions where by people will think that, oh, it must be involving animal clonings, it must be involving genetic modification, um, et cetera, et cetera, or it must involve some like toxic chemicals in the process. So maybe take this opportunity opportunity to explain a little bit is, um, first of all, because we only um, only produce a cell, so it's actually no different from um, regenerative, regenerative medicine, whereby the same process actually applies to um, a patient who have a part of skin burned, and that the patient can actually have part of this, uh, like the skin tissue um, actually grown outside of that person's body, and then so in, in re-implement that. In that process, of course, we're not creating an other sentience like um, beings that we need to skew at the end. So we're just replicating that part of the tissue, so it's not cloning. Um, for GM, um, in where we operate, uh, China market is very strict in terms of um, not accepting GM food for human consumption. So we take, a, it, take it as a policy that we do not uh, resort to doing uh, GM uh, uh, for our food product. And so I think that's for sure, although we understand that in this field, uh, where some other jurisdiction, GM food is allowed. Um, indeed, GM could be one of the approach to make the productivity better, etc. So uh, that will that will be something that you know a consumer can actually check out on the on the product. And then the third is that I think people would not know what we feed to the cell. So uh, the cell actually just like us, just like human being, just like a, a pig, a cow. It just needs the nutrient like um, uh, glucose, amino acid, vitamins, minerals, etc. And of course, uh, some of the operation might require um, some, um, we call that uh, simple, simple chemicals. But then I think that um, after all the process that is already clean and turning, so some of the chemical may be going to the, uh, making the cell to do a little bit kind of uh, action, but then eventually it would not, um, there will be um, like rules and um, measurement and data in place that there would not be residuals chemical that is not um, normal in a food product um, component. So in, in our case, I know what is going to it and I happily uh, eat the prototype that we produce. So I think that that might also hope to uh, deliver some level of uh, confidence to people who are new to this area. We're definitely transparent to what we, what we do. Uh, and then I hope that we'll also ultimately um, let people know about the, the benefit of, of, of this uh, solution as well. I did quite a bit of research into this topic, but it wasn't until I read about the first regulatory approval for lab-grown meat in Singapore that I fully understood that there is, as yet, no existing market for her product. Her business still hinges on her ability to imagine a future in which her product will be sold. What does it take to do this and inspire people to join you? I took the opportunity to explore that future and understand what motivates Carrie to pursue it with such energy. I would see that um, in the future, a lot of the places in the round, in, in around the world could have access to different fish that is not like, uh, they do not need to be locally caught and actually flown around. Um, it would be uh, decentralized. I mean, the whole decentralization of the supply chain. In the future, we do see that we do not need to fly this fish around anymore. And, uh, and then we can actually produce them um, on demand, basically. 
this is what I see. We see um, a lot of partners in different parts of the world, um, primarily Asia to begin with, that will have, um, we are developing a technology platform whereby we can provide a total solution or turnkey solution to operators uh, slash partners slash investors in different parts of the world to actually run the similar uh, op operation. It's just like, um, let's say, um, Tessa, you would like to set up a plan in um, in Vancouver. Then what we can offer is that we we bring in the the cell line, um, the machine, and also the everything you need to start churning out a lot of fish for the local yes. market. And so that is the idea we have in mind in a in a in actually not too long, maybe three four years time. The future is also um, that people around the world can still eat the kinds of fish. Uh, that they like without the, the uh, traveling around. And I imagine also that the fish in the sea will replenish. Do you think that there will be less uh, fishing? Yes, correct. Uh, we, we hope to see that the ocean is replenished in a, in a much closer to back to natural. As you see, without COVID now, a lot of natural animals are actually back to the normal, <laughs> normal state and just en enjoying the space without human like uh, interference, etc. So we hope that that will be similar uh, in, in that case for the oceans. I often ask my guests, like if you saw yourself on a spectrum of like startup to scale up to a more established business, where would you see yourself? And I, and I read that you um, closed also seed funding in December uh, and, and raised like more than 3.1 million and still you're in prototyping phase. Can you tell me a little bit about that that works with such a, well, I guess, capital intensive business? Yeah, indeed, that is a little bit different from some other industry. Um, and then uh, this is definitely quite capital intensive. Uh, we have completed prototype. I think the next is actually getting a plant uh, whereby we run a bigger bioreactor. It is where the exact uh, large amount of the cell and protein is actually churning out from that machine. And so that's going to take place in 2021. We are implementing our, our plans for that. So, uh, and then of course there will be when we scale up further, there will be uh, uh, a bit more fundraising. But then that will be really bring us to the actual revenue and uh, larger scale of commercialization. And then I think that will be the point whereby um, we can we can we can actually uh, have uh, like uh, revenue and hopefully some some profit and uh, return back to the company to f do further R and D and further um, further development. There's quite a few businesses in this area and also in cell-based technology. Can you tell me what is uniquely yours when you say when we come like into this market, Avant Meats? There are several companies in the U.S. Are working on, on uh, fish, uh, seafood. There are also companies in, in Asia, in Singapore, working on um, uh, crustacean, etc. Um, so what we are differentiating from the other company is that... Um, I think there are several things uh, uh, in particular for the approach to the market, the go-to-market plan. And also we see that uh, food is a very uh, uh, culturally relevant, a very culturally related kind of um, consumer behavior and decision making. So, um, so we are we are native to this region. So we know um, the the taste profile and interest in what kind of product. We know that in our our own R and D, we do have our uh, own patent pending solutions. After understanding what our peers have been working, we do reckon that there are several um, opportunities in terms of gaps that the techno technological wise is not 
explore yet in another when we talk about when we when we listen to what our peers have been look, um, talking about and the solution to drive the cost down. I think these are the major um, major differentiating factor. And I think at the moment we are the first one working on fish, and so they, we offer particularly. Uh, wild type species that uh, that we would like to also uh, try to um, help with the overfishing problem as well. The framework for this podcast was really to look from the sustainable development goals. Do the sustainable development goals play a role for you as a business? And if so, how or is it and which ones? Yeah, definitely. I think the beginning, the objective of setting up the company is definitely is already in line with a lot of the idea. Uh, I, I think that there are multiple things, in, including, you know, life underwaters, uh, which I think we directly, we directly try to solve that um, overfishing kind of problem. Um, the other is that uh, when we talk about the, the poverty and hunger, I think a lot of the time, of, of course, there are multiple problems that leads to that hunger and why we have still a large number of the people in this world not having enough food. And so, of course, there's multiple problems, including distribution problem, uh, use of resources, even, you know, corruption and everything. And I think one of the things, using this method, including us, not just not just us, but using this cell-based technology, I think one would actually help with that. Um, previously, we need to feed like a hundred unit of the energy, like food energy in terms of animal feed to an animal. And then for cow, the energy conversion is only about 9% or 10%. And chicken and, and pork are a little bit higher, but none of them actually go above like um, like 15 or 20%. So a lot of the resources that is in the food system, uh, in the animal feed, etc., actually end up nowhere. It end up in the, you know, other parts like waste and other stuff. They actually use in the animal as they go about and spending the energy into... Um, you know, keeping themselves warm and running around and everything. And so these are very inefficient, I think. Um, and I think when we, get the, when we get the system more efficient, they will spare up quite a bit of these resources that now at the moment primarily go to feeding the animal, but we will have those resources back and then that could be distributed to the, to the population uh, in a much better way. So I think that would um, that would also help with the with the um, hunger, uh, the that the kind of parameter as well, and of course, uh, responsible consumption and production. Like what I said, we can actually manage the production more in line with the market demand, so we will not over overproduce. Because now a lot of consumerism, capital driven capitalism driven consumerism is that we produce more than the market need. I think when we can manage the supply to meet with the demand better, we can also solve with that uh, more like responsible consumption and production kind of uh, cycle there as well. With cell-based fish, Kerry is putting a new product to market with a business that heeds the global goals as an innovation framework. This is a good example of planet-centric thinking. But I imagine that saving the fish in the sea while still catering to consumption on our planet will throw up dilemmas on the path ahead. Carrie is well aware of the complexity of her endeavor, and I look forward to staying in touch and understanding how not only her product, but her business will manage to be game-changing. The next part of the interview will focus on her past, and I start out by asking one of my favorite questions. How did you see the planet as a child? Um, yeah, I grew up in a, in a pretty much of 
people use the term concrete jungle, which is the name that people give to Hong Kong. I didn't have a lot of exposure to the natural environment per se, but we do have pretty good percentage of the land in Hong Kong, which is countryside. So I do um, enjoy quite a bit of the uh, the natural environment. And then I, when I grow up, I'm actually very curious about the space, like the outer space. One of my earlier kind of dream is actually become an astronaut. And of course, uh, my science and pure math and the other is not good enough to be doing that. But on the other hand, I, I turn out to be uh, pretty good in trying to designing something and then make it like happen and implement that, seeing how it convert from an idea into something tangible and physical. So um, so that's how I, that's what I, I actually find that the planet and, and also everything like the universe is um, very, very, uh, very uh, mysterious and attractive um, to me. And then, yeah, and I, I just, uh, that was what I see. And then, um, and then now I'm, I'm happy that what I'm doing now is actually helping with part of the, part with the, with the planet, well-being, etc. Just a little bit of background. You're now in uh, this business of like um, finding sustainable alternatives for meat products. But before this, I saw a long list of like uh, project development and uh, real estates. Can you tell me just how is that helping you now? Or how, why did you go from that to this? Right. Yeah. So I'm trained as an architect. So architect is actually good in dreaming up something and try to make it in real life tangible that you can see, touch and feel. So I think that um, a lot of the transferable skill from where I trained and work, I have been working managing um, financial resources, managing uh, investment or opportunity, uh, managing the, putting a team together uh, and also managing the budget, the time, etc. When how it turned into something that could deliver uh, like a, a house or a, a hotel that could be operated um, eventually. So that is very relevant. I find that more and more, I find it definitely more relevant. And it's, more, it's also about masterminding the whole thing as well, the whole project and how to see the future and how to see it happening in front of my eyes, maybe. Nice, masterminding. Because you have a co-founder called Mario Chin, who's a research and bioengineer. How did you meet? How did this come together, this whole project? Oh, yeah, this is uh, actually a story sometimes uh, people find it's actually quite quite interesting. I find it very, um, I'm very gratefully. So my journey to start with uh, this um, uh, this uh, venture is that I started on, on myself, not having the co-founder and when I left my full-time job. And then I spent some time wondering about in different cities of China, Guangzhou, Beijing, uh, Shenzhen, Wuhan, Shanghai, etc., to try to find a location like a laboratory and a co-founder. At the same time, of course, I use other channels to with, meet with um, um, like co-investor, uh, sorry, co, um, co co-founder. And then, um, uh, and then, to my surprise, I actually put it like um, a advertisement for an employment, because uh, as we know, scientists do not hang out in bars and <laughs> you know those kind of. <laughs> so-so setting, so I do need to go out to look for them. And I'm presently surprised by the quality and the quantity of very serious and experienced scientists who express interest uh, to my core for a chief scientist at that time. And then, and then through a very rigorous process with the help of our scientific advisor, that's how Mario has been identified as a very suitable and competent person to actually lead the R&D team. And then that, that, that was the beginning. That was the uh, end of 2018. 
I have a question I usually ask people who has been kindest to you, but I think I wanted to change it slightly and ask you where you think whether kindness is a, has a role to play in business, especially in, uh, in Asia. I think generally around the world, people doing business also kind, but I think the, the, the business relationship in, in Asia may be a little bit um, different. A lot of the time people look for uh, not, as, not that much as like um, very, very strictly transactional, but people try to think everyone uh, collectively as an industry or as an ecosystem or as everything that we can help out each other. So I think the kindness, um, uh, that to a certain extent is not, is maybe even clashing with capitalism, you know, because for one deal, I would like to maximize my profit. But then, um, but then I think in, in general, doing business in this part of the world, people do think that um, there are more things to just getting that extra profit and extra thing. Uh, even for the, if we can understand that even for the business philosophy, we can actually handle that. We we'd also see that for our choosing a certain certain strategy and tactic to do a business, we, we know that, of course, the term that what um, goes around and comes around. So we, we pay attention to, you know, do not try to extract the maximize the, the, the profit and everything in one occasion, but we watch out for the time. Okay, we now know because we now know that uh, if we dump too much, you know, waste into the to the environment, it will come back. We will actually end up in like plastic can end up in our food and that sort of thing. I think people now generally um, aware of that, but but I think this kind of mindset has been in the a lot in the Chinese or Asian tradition for many many years. Yeah. For the last part of the interview, I asked Carrie to explain to me how she is setting up a sustainable business in Asia. What does it take to push forward a sustainability agenda? And who does she need to build a market and convince people that this is getting it right? Yeah, so we actually uh, we actually need to have a, find a very good marketing, sales and marketing people, because uh, our very first um, B2B product, uh, that could that is an ingredient, uh, we need to, we actually going to soft launch that very soon. And then we do need to start conducting a lot of, lot of uh, uh, conversation with potential customers. So that need a very focused uh, resources to doing that. And the other, as we go up to the pilot scale, uh, we, as you, you rightly mentioned that for the compliance, uh, we will start needing to uh, do um, the, the application and the data uh, together. And then um, uh, the other is that the whole operation would need to come into the place. So we need to have people in the operation side managing um, the cost, material, where they come from, and how do they go, QA, QC, etc., etc. So at least there are a few headcounts around those tasks. And we, uh, we actually recruit um, both regionally and internationally. We do have um, talents from uh, overseas, from Europe, joining us. Can you say something about these people? Do they have a, a certain mindset or a, a way of working? Are they attracted by the mission of the company or the technology? Yeah, that's actually a very good point. I find very um, a very pleasant kind of uh, uh, nice observation is that I, I think that might also echo with some other company in this space is that um, we do have people who volunteer and send us their, their CV. And then I think they... they uh, they, they like that it is a offering a sustainable uh, solutions to, to the environment, to the planet. And uh, we do actually have um, 
um, they either join us as an intern and actually one more people joining us who actually uh, a very senior researcher um, also find out about this new industry. They're interested. Uh, they also have very relevant experience related to the species they're working on. So um, we actually got the, the theory from that person. And then when we were lo not looking, and then when we need to add more headcounts, we actually go through them. And um, it's actually very good because uh, I also spoke with scientists. Some of them would have slightly different view uh, in the perspective of a certain policy or principle in the R&D. So I think having people to understand the, the value is actually very important. That who people already buy into the value is definitely important as a team member as well. Yeah. It is interesting because you say scientists and they want to innovate and research. Is there a, um, a question of ethics in your company, like uh, the role of ethics? I think that is not, um, that is my general um I, I did spend a lot of time at the beginning and even now to speak with different very senior researchers, professors, etc. In, in the biotech space. And I think they do hold different kind of opinion in terms of, for example, achieving certain breakthrough, um, you know, cannot be having too much restriction and limitation that might tread into like ethical standard, etc. So I think, um, and of course, people are um, entitled to their own opinion and uh, their principle. But I think for, for, for people who do not see it from the perspective of sustainability, uh, ethical treatment of animals, um, I think it would be challenging down the line because then um, they will always urge to solve the problem using some method which would not align with what we would like to do. Um, yeah. One of the things that I... Um say to a lot of social entrepreneurs that I work with is that we're, we're stuck in this kind of capitalist mindset that we're competing in the market. But uh, in many ways, if we look at our mission, we're collaborating. Do you, do, and I found from that perspective, there's a lot of people or like businesses in this field. Do you see it as competitors or collaborators? How do you work together to achieve the mission? Ah, I think in... Uh... Uh, I think maybe for some industry and including us, people are very supportive and friendly with each other. For example, among startup founders, uh, especially those of us in, in Asia, in this region, we have, you know, we have um, personal contact. We have chatted with each other, um, not very regularly, but at least once in a while. And then uh, even for company in the in other places, like in other continents, um, uh, depending on location, we do have, you know, direct conversation and um, communication with them. And, um, and one of the things that is common to us is actually getting the market to understand the whole technology. And then they, they market, um, market education is our common frontier. And, and I think we're also helping each other uh, some, some collaboration as well. So, uh, for example, we will have our partners that are working on developing part of the solution. And then um, that will be, we cannot do it alone. And so partnership is actually very important. It also helps everyone to accelerate uh, the process, um, you know, much, much quicker. I did read Shiok Meats and Swedish Hook, a Swedish company and fish that uh, that everybody's taking different strategies as well, right? So I like this idea that you're on a frontier uh, in terms of acceptance that you can learn which one works. 
I think we haven't talked about successes. What is your like what is the moment that you started making an impact and that you thought this is success? Ah, I I actually think that um I was very surprised that when I call for the for the chief scientists or the co-founders, I actually received very good background and experienced researcher answering to the call. I actually to my to my personal surprise and I actually would call that a very early success for 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 me and the company as a whole we have investors supporting us even at the beginning where we have nothing we don't have laboratory uh, we haven't done much thing but then um, we have the support of the investor and then I think the the next for us will be our customer um, client corporate clients as well as uh, consumers that would like to like try our products yeah yeah and you have both the benefits of being local uh, uh, in the Chinese market um, but also you know how difficult it is probably to change the minds uh, going from like um, I love that you said at some point you know if you are a certain species of fish that is on the delicacies menu then you have the luck of probably being extinct in five years time. <laughs> yeah indeed yes exactly yeah 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 no I think that if if there are certain not just fish but any kind of food that is being lucky to be picked by the Chinese consumers as something that they like to have you know you know um God bless you. If it is actually caught from the wow, it's going to be extinct in a very short period of time. But if it can be produced, like like uh, if you can grow it, uh, of course that would be better. But fish in this case is a is uh, is something that we cannot um, grow a lot of them. So that's the problem for the ocean. I have a last question from my previous guest, Deborah Carter, who set up a business uh, basically on tech education and how to teach. Um, children and young adults more 21st century skills, like how we can uh, uh, build a career in our future because she feels that current education doesn't really offer that in the formal education. Um, so it was actually all about education, but then her last question, because she's in business uh, uh, and also looking at uh, um, more diversity in technology and how to bring that about, her question was, how can business people make it a habit to interact with people who are polar opposite, different in terms of race, color, gender, sexual orientation, thought, politics. So how can we make this a habit to really be able to transform business? I would say that there will be two layers of people. So I'm sure and the, on, the, on the, the part of the team that is driving the business, I don't think that is something that people will skip. For example, in, in our case, sometimes I would wonder, so how this product could be sold in another continent or how would people, for example, a certain religion or certain cultural preferences would or would not consume this product? And if that is the case, um, do we need to do something about it? I think for the people who is driving the business, it probably will be easily on the mind thinking about that because the, the market is becoming more international. 
the product from one part of the world could be sold to other part of the world, uh, so on and so forth. However, I think the more challenge will be on the, um, like as the company grow bigger and bigger, you have more people uh, like managers, director taking out different things and how that we actually can implant into that day-to-day kind of thinking into uh, incorporating that. I think I don't have a very good answer for that, but I think that for, depends on how you, usually I find that the most in, effective way is actually uh, put something along on the KPI. And when you, when the KPI is on that that um, that team member or that manager um, or associate, then he or she will actually think harder than that. So people are so pragmatic, they will just, you know, just take action on those that matters to them. And I think then how you set the KPI would be very, um, very important. I, I, I think that is, that is really the hard way, um, just promoting and, you know, just suggesting people you do better about this is not going to happen. You, a lot of the time, the, in particular, company who has made some success, and we've seen some business cases, is that at the beginning, everyone, every company as it was a startup, right? And then once they have matured to a certain level, they basically, what worked for them in the past may not work for them now. And also the world has changed. Uh, people who are affecting the, the, the business and trades and everything would change. So I, I think that it will definitely benefit business to stay open to diverse um, views, political views from different culture, etc. Um, because they, if they do not do so, they could become irrelevant, um, you know, depending, it just depends on time if, they, if they're not um, updated with respect what the world is doing. Yeah. Yeah, and then KPIs is a very practical approach, but I like your comparison with a with a startup because that's when usually there's so many different. There is no hierarchy, right? So a lot of voices have equal um, equal gravity. So, do you have a question for my next guest? Yes, I I have a question that I usually ask uh, ask myself or ask some other people is that how to bring innovation to big corporation who may not have a system in place, they do not have a corporate VC, they do not have an innovation team, um, but then they know that they need to do something, but then they don't have the people who are, who are, in, the, who are in that position who can actually internalize certain innovation. And then I think from the other perspective is that how um, established company can actually incorporate innovation and incorporate innovative process into their into the business. So I think that that would be my question. Yeah, that's for benefit of both sides. Well, I wish you success with your uh, next steps uh, and I'll definitely be following it. I noticed for myself that I think, oh, it's so new and I'm quite on the innovation side. Um, But, you know, is this the right path? How can we make sure it goes right? So I, I wanted to thank you for taking the time to talk to me and my listeners. Thank you very much, Tessa, for the opportunity. I really... Uh, enjoy the, the the chat as well as I really like that you make the 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 social entrepreneur and also this um, this uh, podcast that actually a platform to I listen to um, the other like uh, the the concrete one um, the the marine concrete and also the the prototyping of the of the lake you know this bring together a very very interesting combination and curation of. Uh, different uh, solutions from different parts of the world. I, I think that is very, very diverse and I think it's 
very, very, very good to actually listen to what other people has been doing, what are the solutions out there. So, uh, yeah, very good platform. Good platform. Obviously, hearing my guests say they enjoy the show is nice. When Impossible and I set out to make this series, we decided to approach it like any entrepreneur, through prototyping. And we've learned a lot. We could leave it here with a lot of invaluable lessons and a great global community of new friends shifting the world for the better. But we want to keep on building and offering a platform for positive stories in business. In fact, we're in the creative process of concepting season two. If you as a listener have any ideas about what you would like to hear about, please drop me a line at hello at whatifwegetitright.com. And if you want to see how planet-centric design can have an impact on your business, you can download the toolkit at impossible.com.